glad you are here. Um, please take a seat if you're not already. We will be very few people who are a little bit late, so don't uh, mind anybody walking in. Um, thank you for coming again. Uh, my name is uh, Martijn Winkler. I'm the uh, president of the Dutch Directors Guild, the uh, Association for Film, Television, Online Directors here in the Netherlands. Uh, I'm a director as well. Uh, and um, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> So uh, a lot of the subject matter uh, which will be talked about here, I uh, do know about since uh, from within the Dutch director's field, we are very much involved in uh, the whole uh, cable remuneration and duty platforms and author's rights, etc. Uh, but I always approach it from the side of being a filmmaker. Uh, so I'm basically here uh, to ask the dumb questions. Um, which uh, maybe you are afraid to ask. Uh, I, I will, I'm not afraid to ask them, so I will, because uh, I do notice that in this this subject matter a lot, which is discussed, a lot of abbreviations which are, which are named are not necessarily always clear, so I really want to um, uh, make sure that everybody uh, knows what we're talking about. But if, I, if my questions are not dumb enough, or are too dumb, please do not hesitate uh, uh, and ask, because uh, that's what we're here for, basically, to make this as clear for you all as possible. Um, next to me, uh, we have uh, Cécile Despreng. I have with me uh, a bit of a bio. Let me introduce you uh, professionally. Um, uh, you are a lawyer. By training, uh, that's good. So you studied international European law at the University of Paris, a master's degree in international economic law, worked in several functions of the SACD, which is the French and Belgian Society for Dramatic Authors and Composers, in Brussels and Paris, right? Uh, she worked as a CEO at FERA, which is the uh, European Association for All European Directors Guilds, uh, basically, as a CEO. And in 2009, uh, you set up the, uh, well, the new European organization to represent all the collective management organizations with the European institutions, which is the SAA. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Maybe to start off, uh, uh, oh, I introduced a bit the SAA, but maybe you could put in your own words, what, what is the SAA? What, what, what do you do? Uh, why are you here? Okay, so the Society of Audiovisual Authors is a European association for collective management organizations, um, uh, managing rights, authors' rights for screenwriters and directors. We have 29 members in um, 19 countries, um, and we established the, the SA in 2009 because there was the feeling that uh, uh, we need an organization at European level to address the specific needs and challenges of audiovisual authors um, in terms of how their rights and remuneration are organized in Europe um, and uh, to try to develop more um, European level uh, remuneration schemes um, so that they can really benefit from uh, uh, the copyright uh, they have on, on their works. Um, the, our membership is quite uh, diverse because depending on the countries, uh, the, uh, the way authors' rights are protected, um, how um, authors' organizations are organized can be very different. Not every country has a CMO, a collective management organization. No, I think they all have, uh, at least in the European Union, they all have maybe 
uh, very small countries like Malta or Cyprus uh, do not have their uh, locally uh, operated one, but they are covered um, by other country uh, CMOs. Uh, but um, the, I'm, I'm more looking at the, the different traditions to um, operate uh, the um, author's rights. So for example, uh, here in um, the Netherlands, the, there is a, a, um, a collective management organization for writers, which include uh, screenwriters, it's LIRAF, and um, collective management organization for uh, directors. Uh, um, in France, uh, LASCAM, who is at the initiative of uh, this session, is um, ITFA, is a collective management organization for um, documentary uh, filmmakers uh, and also journalists uh, and uh, some uh, uh, other um, authors from the radio uh, and text sector. But you have another organization, SAC, who is for uh, fiction and uh, uh, live performance authors. Uh, so depending on the country, you can have very different, uh, it's, it's quite um, free because these organizations are uh, at the initiative of uh, their members. So most of them are, uh, uh, have been established by the will of authors uh, to work together in a way to defend uh, their rights together because they are stronger uh, being to, to get uh, together than uh, if they are isolated in front of broadcasters or uh, even producers, big producers, they, they feel that they are <coughs> in a position to, um, um, to defend themselves. Has it been easy to, to uh, uh, get together with all these different organizations? I think it was quite easy because the time was appropriate. In 2009, there was uh, it was a time where copyright was very much under threat, uh, very much criticized with the advent of the internet and uh, uh, the feeling that uh, because of the digital environment, um, it can be easy to control your work. Uh, so copyright was outdated. Um, there was lots of um, internet um, uh, operators who tried really to, to, to scratch uh, uh, copyright. Um, so the reaction from uh, uh, the collective management organization, including authors of uh, authors association or, or guilds, was uh, um, this organization really wanted to do something and something specific to the audiovisual sector. Because at European level, uh, you have quite a lot of discussion on copyright because it's a field where there is some kind of harmonization. So the European institutions, uh, in, in the Treaty of the European Union, there is uh, this idea that we have to develop an internal market. Um, and copyright is part of the uh, fields in which we can intervene. So there is al already a tradition of intervention in this field with a Ten directives on uh, harmonizing copyright laws on, on specific aspects that have an internal market dimension. Um, so the copyright discussion at EU level were very much focused on music so far because the music uh, industry has been hit by uh, internet, par online piracy very much. Uh, they were on the front side of this. So most of the discussion were about music, and uh, there was a, a strong feeling from the um, audiovisual authors that uh, um, this discussion should be more um, 
diverse and that the different <coughs> sectors, the challenges of the different sectors should be taken into account. Uh, so uh, then with the SA we had, we, we established very clear objectives so that even if there is a great diversity of organization with different aims and different uh, rights holders represented because in some countries you have one society managing all repertoire, including music, etc. But <coughs> in the joint ASA, they know uh, what only for, for exactly only for audiovisual, <coughs> and to really develop a remuneration <coughs> system at EU level that will ensure that authors get remuneration for the exploitation of their rights. So the <coughs> objective of the organization were made very clear from the beginning, so that everybody knows why they are. Uh, becoming a member. Okay, well, we're here uh, now to discuss where the, the title for this session is Can an Author's Organization Help You Make a Living? Which hasn't either an answer yes or no. Which is, we have to wait until the end until if it's a yes or a no. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a, kind of a bit of a, a hint before that. Um, uh, there's a, a great animation video which really uh, uh, explains quite uh, um, eloquently and easily, I think, what, what it's all about, and afterwards we delve into that. So, But before we watch that, uh, I want to see a bit who we have in the audience, just to get a sense of how uh, uh, how detailed or not uh, <coughs> we can go into things. Uh, uh, do we have any, uh, who, just a show of hands, uh, who's a, a, a director, uh, audiovisual director? Uh, do we have any producers in the audience? Uh, both director and producer. Yeah, that's happening more and more. Isn't it? Um, uh, journalists, maybe or two um, people from, from CMOs. Uh, oh, we have one, two. Did I leave anybody out? And uh, from the directors who uh, show their hands, who uh, who's a member of a CMO? Anybody uh, not a director who's not a member? So we all know the basic concept, I guess, of what, what that means. Uh, so uh, let's start off with the video, please. The Society of Audiovisual Authors supports fair remuneration for the thousands of screenwriters and directors in Europe who create our favorite films, documentaries, and TV series. So, how are these authors paid? In theory, they are paid for their working time, writing or filming. Plus, they also hold the copyright, which should entitle them to ongoing proportionate remuneration based on the exploitation of their work. In reality, however, many of them sign for a lump sum payment that covers their working time and copyright. This leaves most authors with no ongoing remuneration when their works are successful. Screenwriters and directors across Europe have low net income. Few are able to live solely off their creative work. And they take risks too, investing time in their projects without pay. Ironically, business as a whole is doing well. Box office revenue and VOD numbers continue to increase, and the video revenue predictions are great. The problem lies in the contract negotiation. The contract determines everything, the terms and conditions of employment, as well as the transfer of rights to the producer. The negotiation takes place before the work exists, and before the value is known. 
This makes it very difficult for screenwriters and directors to get a fair deal. Thanks to existing European and some national legislation, authors receive some exploitation royalties through their collective management organizations, or CMOs. For authors to be able to sustain their careers, they need to be connected economically to their works. Long sums have to stop. Proportionate remuneration needs to be the new normal. Screenwriters and directors cannot do this on their own. Their careers are too unstable to challenge their unfair contracts in court as they risk being blacklisted. They need collective representation of their interests. They also need to be given, in European law, a right to fair remuneration that is proportionate and based on actual exploitation within the market. This unwaverable remuneration right needs to be subject to collective management. This will respect the licensing chain in the sector, which guarantees legal security for those who distribute the works, while at the same time really improving the financial situation of audiovisual authors. Europe has an opportunity now to make a difference to the working lives of its screenwriters and directors. To learn how and find out more about the situation of audiovisual authors, see SAA's infographic and follow the hashtag. clear animation video uh, it's uh, uh, you tend to get, get a bit confused in this discussion with all the different parties and what's going on so this blows it down basically it's, it's two things for me on the one hand there's uh, business is booming uh, in a sense audiovisual works are, are, are being sold and that's, that's, that's there's money being made and the other hand you have the struggling film author the maker who's barely getting by, or, or there are some figures that a minor percentage can actually make a living. Um, so uh, what was said in the animation, but maybe complete, what, 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 what's the main cause for this disconnect? Um, if we go on, on, on the first uh, slide, I think uh, um, it's important to recall the facts. Um, um, uh, authors uh, in the audiovisual sector, uh, the, they have their revenues going down. We have very um, clear figures from uh, the different countries where you can see that uh, um, today only 11.5% of writers in the UK are earning solely from writing. They were 40% uh, in 2005. Uh, so you see the, the difference. In Spain also, we know that Spain went uh, through a, a big crisis. Uh, you have a 33 decline in uh, uh, Spanish writers able to make a, a living from their work since 2004 um, and we have other figures for example uh, um, uh, lots of uh, writers and directors are today uh, um, working more and more uh, for free uh, so whether they are developing on their own their projects or they are asked uh, even after uh, having signed a contract to, to, to add <laughs> Um, lots of work um, uh, without being without additional uh, remuneration. So these are facts. I mean, we are not just complaining about a situation. Uh, this is the reality of um, of lots of um, screenwriters and directors in Europe. And as you said, the contrast is really uh, big with uh, the revenues of the industry. If you look, uh, can you change the slide, please? 
if you look at the at the figures that were presented in the in the video, you see that uh, the the global revenues of the audiovisual sector in Europe is continuing growing. Um, we have 122 billion uh, euros of revenues in 2013. You still have um, growth in the uh, box office receipts, uh, so cinema attendance in at European level. Um, uh, in the different countries, you you can have differences in, in, in countries, but if you uh, aggregate the figures, it's continuing growing. Uh, you have still more and more TV channels <laughs> in Europe. You have lots of uh, video-on-demand platforms, whether established by broadcasters themselves or pure players on, on the internet. And you still have more and more films produced, so which is also uh, uh, challenging in terms of uh, um, understanding of, of the uh, economics of the sector. Uh, one, one thousand and nearly six hundred films produced in 2014 in Europe. Um, and the uh, VOD uh, growth is uh, quite uh, uh, rapid. Uh, you have two figures, uh, uh, I mean, um, pretty, um, from 28% of uh, growth between 2000 14 and 2000 and, um, oh sorry, the 2010 and 2014. So this uh, contract is uh, really striking. Um, who, who are, who's making the money? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I think that that's the big question, where the money is going. Uh, uh, what is, I, I don't have the answer, but what is clear is it's not in the author's pocket. Uh, uh, we have a very complex um, organization of the audiovisual sector in Europe because of the different markets. It's not as if we had a European market as such. It's not like the United States with uh, this big territory. We have local markets and it's very much like that in the audiovisual sector, much more than in the music sector uh, because of the uh, linguistic diversity, because of uh, the cultural diversity, uh, the, the broadcasters are very uh, local um, in nature. Uh, they are addressing public broadcasters are there for this um, local audience. Um, films have difficulties in, in traveling, co-production are, are not so easy uh, to, uh, uh, to organize. Uh, and uh, so we have specific features <coughs> in the audiovisual sector, um, which uh, um, Make it uh, makes it uh, very um, uh, locally organized. So I don't know if this is the the one of the reason, but what I what we know is that this contract is is striking, and authors are very much stuck into uh, their contracts, the contract they sign, and the, the money they can get from the different financiers, and um, at a time when. Uh, Nobody knows the value uh, of the work they are working on, uh, they are developing. So I think that that's the, the main issue for, for authors. If you go to the next slide, please. Um, you see that all the relationship between the author and uh, the economic life of the work he's uh, uh, developing and working on producing is determined by the contract, which is signed um, um, next slide, please, at a time where nobody knows the value. So it's all guess. Uh, uh, 
Um, and at a time where the, the author is so anxious to have the film made that he's not really in a position to bargain uh, <coughs> about uh, his rights. And I think it's particularly true in the documentary sector where uh, very much a lot of you, as I understand, are both directors and producers. So mm -hmm. the, the confusion of the role makes it even more difficult, I think, to really uh, protect yourself as um, an author uh, in terms of your rights. Because your first will, uh, or even if you're not a, a producer, your main goal with the producer is to make the film exist. Working on contracts are two things as a maker. There's a sense of, oh, I'm glad I can make a film. I'll, I'll do it for free, even. This is the, uh, the passion, which, of course, when in contract negotiation is something uh, that's used by uh, yeah. uh, the other side. Uh, and there's the whole sense of, of, of this business transaction part. For me, it always feels like going to the dentist, rather, rather not think about it. Uh, uh, even though I know if I don't go, if I don't do it right, then I'll, you know, I'll have a toothache later on. Um, so it, the, this, this, there's no other way. You have to sign a contract before you make the film, right? There's, there's not, not another way to organize this. Is there? Um, well, the, the, the difficulty with the audiovisual work is that you can't do this. I mean, you can't just. It's not like writing a book. You can do it on your own if you. You do a, a film, even with the new digital means, you need a team uh, and you need money, uh, that's for sure. So you can do it for low budget, but you, you need finances. Uh, so there are different ways to look for money. Um, I'm sure you know better than me. Uh, but it's, um, I mean, it's the job of the producer, uh, even if you are both. Uh, the job of the producer is to, to look for the money uh, and to organize the production. For the author, um, uh, most of them concentrate on the artistic part and, 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 and developing the project, but uh, very often you are, I mean, it's your baby, you you can give up very much on, on your right just to, uh, to, do, to do it. So um, that's the weakness of the author's position, I think, in the audiovisual sector. And that's why authors' organizations, I think, are important to raise awareness on uh, their rights, to um, uh, make them understand that they are not alone in this position. I mean, all the filmmakers, all the, the authors are in the same position, and that if you can uh, group together and, and uh, act collectively on some aspects, you can uh, improve uh, the industry practices uh, whether through collective agreements or whether whether through uh, having better law uh, to protect you, because I believe very much in the protection of the law. I mean, the, 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 if you are in a weak position, uh, the law very much in, in many countries recognize that you need additional protection. You you still have that. Uh, you you have that also in consumers' protection. We consider that consumers in front of uh, a big corporation uh, needs protection uh, because sometimes you, have, you sign things very rapidly and uh, you buy things, you have a right to return uh, the, the products you, you're not satisfied. So this kind of protection can be organized by the law and, and you, um, in many countries you have some uh, 
protection in the law for, for authors. So I think uh, the solution is a mix of protection by law and empowerment by authors themselves with the help of their uh, organization to really be stronger on their rights. But this part, I think, is, uh, is the more difficult uh, part. In the animation, it was mentioned as well the, the blacklisting of authors, for instance, as, as, as a form of, of, the, of the, you know, the, uh, the vulnerability uh, of an author in this kind of negotiation, right? In the sense of if I go, if I play too hard, I will be blacklisted or I'll be put away. Exactly. The next slide shows the, the different parties that authors are negotiating with all authors and producers. But I mean, even in producers, you have very big uh, production company uh, in Europe today, in television uh, sector, uh, and the uh, Fremantle. Uh, these uh, corporations have uh, uh, turnover in terms of a uh, billion of, uh, of euros, so it's not uh, small. Broadcasters are big uh, players, cable and TV operators, beauty platforms. Uh, here in Netherlands, you have uh, Netflix, uh, the, uh, one of the biggest. Um, even cinema change. So this is the environment the, 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 uh, where the money comes from <coughs> for authors uh, <coughs> their work made, uh, which put them in a, in a weak negotiating uh, position. It's not really realistic that I would personally start negotiating with all these players, right? That's, I don't even know where to start. You're right, that, that's why uh, the, the relationship with the producer is very important, but that, that's the economics of, uh, of the sector. And uh, the, the contract we were talking about uh, previously, the, the discrepancy between uh, your economics <coughs> as, as an author and <coughs> uh, uh, the distributors of your works uh, and, 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 and their economic environment, the contrast is so huge, um, and that's why uh, uh, authors are in such a, a weak position, so um, uh, that's why the authors need some, uh, some protection. Okay. Just to get a sense if I, because uh, this weekend I watched a Dutch documentary on Netflix, mm -hmm. what's the chance that the director of that film gets a bit of the my subscription fee now? Well, it's difficult to say because uh, an operator like Netflix doesn't uh, communicate on the, their figures, uh, whether on their contract they sign on the deals they offer to, um, to uh, producers or, or filmmakers. Uh, so only individual <laughs> uh, filmmakers can, can answer. And I think uh, from one to another, it, it can be very different. And the other thing with uh, Netflix, which make it, makes it difficult to, to understand their uh, business model, is that they don't communicate on the consumption on the, of the films of their catalog uh, in the different countries. So you just know how many subscribers they have, uh, but you don't know uh, if uh, your film, um, <coughs> how many um, clicks uh, you had and how many visions. Um, so that's make it difficult also in, in the analysis of, of the sector. I think uh, another big problem of the audiovisual sector in Europe is transparency. Uh, it's uh, uh, very difficult to, uh, to follow uh, uh, all the exploitation. We have um, at national level and at European level um, a European observatory, um, <coughs> European audiovisual observatory, which gather figures from the different exploitation uh, stage. So it's a 
for us it's a very big source of information, but um, if you try to enter into the details, it's getting uh, difficult. Is that something that European law can help with, I mean, to create transparency? Well, I'm sure they don't want to be transparent, that's a quite it's a comfortable position. Exactly. Um, my experience is that, yeah, transparency comes from uh, obligations that uh, operators have uh, at national level. Uh, so, um, if, if cinema tickets uh, are um, counted in most of the countries, in most of European countries now, um, so you can uh, follow some of the exploitation. Um, but it's not, uh, yeah, a, you don't have any European rules because, as I said, because of the different <coughs> modes of exploitation and uh, different possibilities, I mean, audiovisual works are every, everywhere today. Uh, in the past, we were talking about music, say music is everywhere. Now it's, it's coming really very much with audiovisual works, with a short films or, of, or a longer one. Uh, and you have so many different forms of uh, audiovisual works. Uh, that's, uh, I think it's a very creative uh, uh, period because um, uh, lots of opportunities are out there but um, the economic of each project is really uh, sometimes uh, uh, challenging uh, for, for authors. Yeah. So maybe we go to the next slide yeah. and talk about what, what is, uh, what's working now in terms of remuneration. Yeah, so this shows you that, uh, um, as we said in the video, many, many authors, uh, and I don't even simplify, uh, get a lump sum payment when they sign a contract or at the production stage. Um, Is that a lump sum? Oh, uh, it's money uh, given for, uh, which pay for the copyright and for... Uh, but here's a bunch of money and then we'll not, not talk about it anymore. Yeah. Sometimes it can be in installments at different stage of the of the production, but this is what the money is agreed, and and, and that's and that's, that's before you know the value. This is at the <coughs> preliminary stage, right? Yeah, usually it's uh, at the production stage. So okay. um, you bet on on the future. On, I mean, all producers do that. They and authors too. They believe in the in the film. Uh, it will be a success. We will. Uh, <laughs> be everywhere, etc. Um, but the, it depends then afterwards. Uh, the, the, the life of uh, any audiovisual work can be uh, uh, very different. But the situation is that whatever the exploitation you get, so it can be very uh, big or, or quite small, uh, most of the audiovisual authors just get this money at the production stage and then it's more or less finished. Uh, they uh, can see, um, they are a bit of a spectator of, uh, <laughs> of the exploitation. Uh, they get from their collective management organization some remuneration for uh, some rights that have been harmonized at EU level. The, the, the main ones are cable transmission, uh, money, and uh, private copying. Um, so this is by EU law, and depending on the countries, you can have additional rights. The most um, 
the rights that generate the most money for um, audiovisual authors when they are collectively managed is broadcasting rights. Uh, this can be a huge amount of money, and it's uh, collectively managed in uh, um, Belgium, uh, France, Spain, Italy, Poland, um, mainly. Um, and in those countries, uh, you can also have what we call reciprocal agreements between uh, the collective management organization, which means that if you have a French, if you are a French uh, filmmaker who's interested <coughs> in Spain, you will get uh, also money through your collective management organization. So this is something very interesting, but it only works where the law or the voluntary collective agreements uh, makes it possible to uh, to organize a thing like that. So this is the the. Situation for broadcasting <coughs> traditional television, as we call it, right? And, and you have also uh, in even more limited uh, number of countries uh, the same for online uh, rights, but mainly for um, a limited number of online rights. So, in, um, uh, for example, for subscription video on demand like Netflix, uh, you will also have collective management in uh, France and Belgium. Uh, <coughs> on paper, it's also there in um, Italy and Spain, but uh, it was to negotiate. It's a, <coughs> it's a negotiation process, uh, not, but not in Poland, for example. Uh, and I know here in the uh, Netherlands, you are yeah, negotiating, uh, I guess, something like that. So. Um, uh, as far as the SA is concerned, this is our uh, main concern because internet or, or um, uh, this kind of new exploitations are supposed to be, uh, well, we see with the user's habits, it's a really growing uh, way to access uh, words, to, consu to consume um, audiovisual works, uh, and it's an additional uh, um, sector in which authors don't get anything. So we are trying to focus on this. Because if I um, go to the next slide, you will see it's just a recap of the licensing chain in the audiovisual sector. So I think it's a good example of the complexity. Uh, I think this is appropriate for uh, doing the exploitation uh, because uh, you need a distributor in, in, in every country who knows the audience who can really um, uh, adapt the promotion, uh, the, the advertising for, for the work, who know the different operators, broadcasters, etc., to, uh, to sell the work. Uh, so at an international level, the complexity is, is, is bigger than at national level. So maybe this is good for um, uh, doing the promotion of the work to, to, to organize the exploitation, but this licensing chain is not good for the money flowing back to authors. If your money, even if you in your contract, you are entitled to ongoing remuneration for the exploitation of the work. Uh, look at all the intermediaries in between you and author and and, and the distributors, the final distributors at, at the end. Um, it's yeah, really so when the money goes back from the right to the left, your the author is the last <coughs> one in the line, right? Exactly. Is that basically how it works. It gets yeah. trickled down. There is uh, so many possibilities for the money to get stuck in, in, into someone else's pocket that... Uh, <laughs>
But and, and what I often hear producers say, uh, if they look at this schedule, uh, I need all your rights because otherwise I can't uh, make sell the film. So uh, if you you know if, if you can't keep any rights because I need them, otherwise it's, I can't do this. This I can't follow the licensing chain. So how does that correspond to authors keeping their rights or having no fair remuneration in the end for their rights? Um, I think the, the I mean as far as ASA is concerned, we do not challenge that producers need the rights for the exploitation. Um, you can discuss what is the scope of the rights they really need? Uh, do they really need, a, a, I don't know, a theater a stage adaptation uh, when you are doing a, a documentary? So th there is a discussion on the scope of rights, but yes, they, they need uh, the main rights, okay. Um, but uh, what we are trying to uh, develop is the idea that, okay, this transfer of rights needs a, a counterpart. Authors should get something in exchange. And because they are the creative people who, uh, it's their work, it's, uh, it's, uh, they are the creators of the work, <coughs> they need to be associated to the exploitation of their work. So uh, in this transfer of rights, authors should retain uh, a right to remuneration uh, for the different exploitation uh, of the rights. So it's, it should not be a, just a one-off uh, um, situation where once you have transferred the rights, it's finished, uh, you are, it's not your work anymore. Uh, that's not where copyright uh, is for. Uh, so the, the <coughs> slide please show the model of what we would like to develop uh, for in terms of remuneration for the online users. Okay, you transfer your online rights to the producer, but you retain a right to remuneration that will be exercised by your collective management organization uh, to um, distributors of your work, so that collectively they can negotiate a better deal than producers individually uh, with their work. Um, so we do not challenge the licensing chain, as we uh, said earlier. <coughs> But we say that for the remuneration, we should have a different uh, return uh, solution uh, for the money going back to, to authors. And this is the model uh, we are advocating for the online uh, users. So this basically goes over the whole chain, over the producer, there's nothing, they don't have anything to do with this aspect of remuneration, if I see correctly. Yeah, exactly. So the, the producers continue to license the work uh, to uh, online uh, distributors. Uh, we do not challenge uh, their role in, in this process, and they are and they negotiate their remuneration uh, for that. But uh, for the authors, they will be collectively represented by their collective management organization, uh, who will negotiate with the uh, the distributors so that. <coughs> you limit the number of intermediaries and you ensure by the collective representation that a better deal uh, can be organized. Because we know that producers, individual producers, are also in a weak uh, bargaining position yeah. with the um, <coughs> online distributors. Yeah. Just to get it clear, this is a, a proposal, this is not reality, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Uh, so we are uh, at a very interesting time uh, today. Because can I have the next slide, please? <coughs>
because the European Commission presented um, a new directive on copyright in the digital single market. <coughs> um, so it's part of um, <coughs> what we call a copyright package, which has been presented in uh, uh, September. And it's um, a new set of proposals to adapt copyright rules to um, the digital single market. So it's a big word to say that we would like to have more uh, a European market than local uh, traditional uh, uh, market for, for copyright. <coughs> uh, and in this context, we think that uh, it would be good for authors, in particular audiovisual <coughs> authors, to have uh, a specific solution for their online challenges. Uh, our solution is not in the uh, text yet. Uh, the, the text is a very um, is addressing different issues, so I, I've, I've quoted some, some of them. <coughs> there are new exceptions to copyright, quite limited to uh, cross-border uses of um, uh, material for educational purposes, uh, text and data mining, which is something very specific, <coughs> as well as preservation for uh, film. Um, uh, uh, cultural heritage uh, institution. Thank you very much. Um, you have neighboring rights for press publishers, so it's the, the Google News um, discussion, uh, which is uh, quite uh, hot at the moment. Uh, big, uh, big fight on, <coughs> on this press publisher uh, need additional rights uh, when negotiating with, with uh, Google News. It's, uh, Big, big discussion. Transfer of value is also a specific issue. I'm, I'm not going to enter it into details, but it's just interesting, but um, uh, that's not our main objective. And you have um, a small chapter on fair remuneration in contract uh, of authors and performers, which is quite interesting in the way that uh, it seems that the commission has understood that um, authors and performers uh, have uh, problems uh, in the negotiation um, of their copyright and need some uh, some protection, need some uh, some more. So, what the Commission has proposed is what we call a transparency triangle, uh, where you um, have uh, three uh, provisions: an exploitation transparency obligation. So this is, I would say, the starting point. Uh, whatever the contract you sign with the producer, um, you will, uh, the producer will have uh, the obligation to inform uh, the authors on the exploitation of the work. Um, this is uh, very new and this is working in the direction of transparency. But there's no such obligation now? No, not at European level. You already have that in some contracts or at national level. I know that, for example, in France, it's part of the law, uh, the producers have to uh, do a yearly report. Um, but in some countries it's in the law, but it doesn't work really, or um, there is no really standard uh, reporting um, uh, material so that uh, it can be very uh, <laughs> uh, thin. <Always> irrespective. <laughs> so the, the idea here, um, I will develop further, but uh, uh, the idea is to have uh, something sector by sector, and, and there might be the possibility to develop standard reporting formats so that 
you really know, uh, depending on the sector you are, because these, all these proposals are for all authors and performers, <coughs> whether in the music, book, or audiovisual sector, which is also a challenge, because as we said earlier, different sectors have different practices and different way uh, of operating and different challenges. But the commission, um, as a first point, didn't, uh, wanted to have something very horizontal. The second uh, provision is the contract adjustment mechanism, which is what you maybe have heard about the bestseller clause. So it's when you um, consider that the remuneration you got for your work uh, is disproportionately low compared to the exploitation that has been made. So you're supposed to get the information from the um, transparency obligation. Then you can go to court to claim for additional remuneration. For us, this is a very theoretical situation. Uh, we don't see many authors uh, going to court to challenge uh, their contract. I mean, as we said, uh, uh, it's the best way to be blacklisted and not <coughs> to work again anymore. So um, this is something uh, a bit, um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the positive effect of these uh, provisions are not really uh, easy to, uh, to see. And the last point is about the um, dispute resolution mechanism, because the commission understand that it's not easy to go to court, it's expensive, so they want to develop alternative dispute resolution, such as mediation or arbitration. But if we um, go into the, the details, um, can you go back uh, on, on the exploitation transparency obligation? Um, so maybe, before that, to, to explain how a directive, uh, what is really a directive uh, at European level and how the, um, what is the negotiation process. So, you know, the European institution, the Commission is proposing legislation, and then you have the European Parliament and the member states in the Council who discuss the legislation and adopt it. So, the co legislators are member states and European Parliament. So Commission presented this uh, legislation mid-September, and now we are in the process of uh, starting discussion in parallel in the European Parliament and in the Council with the Member States. I understand that here in the Netherlands, you have a consultation process going on for all professional organizations to make comments on this proposal. You have that in a, in a number of countries. It's really now that uh, this uh, consultation takes place for each member state to define a position <coughs> and then to negotiate with the other member states, saying, I like this provision, I want it to be adopted, or I want <coughs> it to be improved, or I have a different <coughs> solution that I would like to push. And then we have this uh, negotiation process. In the European Parliament, uh, it's the same, uh, but because it's an assembly of uh, 750 hundreds uh, members uh, from all Europe, you have committees, uh, specific committees, so the main committee in charge is the Legal Affairs Committee, the appointed rapporteur who are going to prepare legislation to present a draft report uh, which will contain their comments and, and possible amendments. Then it will be uh, open to amendments from other committee members going to a vote in the committee. Other committees will be able to do opinions with the same process. And then in the end, you go to the plenary session when 
where the final position of the European Parliament is going to, um, to be adopted. And the uh, uh, next stage is that um, Council position and European Parliament position is negotiated together with uh, the presence and the input of the European Commission to finalize the, the legislation. So today it takes, um, usually it takes two years uh, for this uh, to, to, to be adopted. Uh, so we are at the beginning of the process and because I said the copyright package, uh, the, I think that the other proposal than the directive, you have uh, indeed the four uh, legislative proposals. So it will be, uh, it will take uh, a bit of time but this is the, the time frame. <laughs> what are our chances to, to, uh, to get our ideas through all this? I think we have, um, um, you have um, first a chance to improve what the commission proposed, uh, which I think is a, um, a route that our organization uh, will pursue because uh, it's a, a first step, um, I think. And then we will have, I hope, a chance to introduce this right to remuneration for online uses based on the uh, proposal of member states who already have it. So uh, I think this is the, the best advocate for, for the, this uh, system to be developed because um, it's not enough today to say I protect my author in my country and then it's fine because with the internationalization of the exploitation, uh, it's very important that the authors in your country are also protected elsewhere. You can't just think into your national frontiers. So um, I hope that for France, for example, uh, they will be uh, willing to ensure some uh, remuneration, for impact to their authors when their works are exploited in Germany, in Sweden, uh, or Estonia. I think it's. Uh, something that um, governments today uh, have to consider. Um, and then you also have some member states who do not have that, uh, but who would be interesting to introduce it if it's a European system. Uh, because here again, you, are, um, uh, you have um, <coughs> this opportunity of having a European uh, level uh, system. Uh, so, and in the European Parliament, I think we also have quite uh, some chance because um, authors, creative people are quite popular in the way that um, most of uh, MEPs are, um, I would say, uh, educated people who like really uh, culture. Not all of them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there are more pro-business uh, yeah. people huh? yeah. who, who, who could be afraid of uh, disrupting the industry so we try to reassure them that uh, it's not, I mean, if you treat well your authors, you are not going to disrupt the industry. It's uh, <laughs> not the big threat. Uh, Is it useful to, to, to talk to them? Or what, what can we as, as authors do? Uh, so um, it's important, I think, that uh, um, authors get involved in their author's organization. Uh, so we come back. Uh, to, to the start, uh, being uh, contributing uh, to, to this. Um, and, uh, uh, and these organizations are then active at European level, so we as the ESA are also contributing to it. But I think what is very interesting 
for, for politicians uh, and for your organization is to comment on, on, on this. For example, if you were, um, the video you've seen is based on an infographic that we have developed uh, to explain the situation of audiovisual authors um, in Europe. So if you spread the video, if you spread the infographic, uh, comment on this, say, if, is it your reality? Uh, is it something, uh, did we miss some, something? Uh, if you want to add something, you know, today social uh, networks are really uh, a, um, a place where you can comment on, on everything. Um, and it's uh, uh, giving the power to any individual to, uh, to express his voice. So we are doing uh, the work in our organizations to, uh, to comment, to provide uh, legal analysis, etc. But um, there is nothing better than the author's voice. Uh, in the SEA, we have a, a board of patrons uh, made of a number of uh, uh, filmmakers in Europe from different countries, different um, origin in different uh, screenwriters, uh, directors from TV or uh, cinema. Um, and uh, when we uh, bring them to the European Parliament, like we will do uh, tomorrow, we are going to Strasbourg um, to um, uh, start uh, working on this. Um, the, when authors go to uh, their politicians, it makes a very big difference because suddenly, uh, they are talking to the person who is, uh, uh, I mean, at the heart of what uh, we want them to do. Uh, so it's uh, really, really important uh, to that authors are feel um, empowered to, to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. With that situation, we were thinking a long time. We need a secret weapon to do the lobby because we're working on I mean, big parties with a lot of money and lobbyists looking for a secret weapon and suddenly realized we are our own secret weapon. <laughs> so we, we called up and said, we are, we are filmmakers, can we talk to you in this case, the Dutch uh, parliament and doors were open. And they, you know, they were talking to, to horrible lobbyists and lawyers all day from the other side and then, then we're makers, we're more interesting, we're a great story. So I agree that the, the sense of feeling empowered just by telling your story as a maker, that's a really strong point. Uh, I think we should lose in all this discussion what, what it's all about. <coughs> That can really make a difference. If, if it's all right, I want to, uh, folks, uh, turn to you if there's any uh, questions in the time as well. I do see a finger. Let me run over to you. Maybe introduce yourself briefly and ask your question. Yeah. I'm Peter Agassi, uh, uh, director and producer. And thank you very much for these insights into the Brussels uh, bubble. In a way, we uh, understand now very clearly uh, all the legislative process and, uh, and where your input could be there. Uh, the title of this uh, session today was Can the Author Association Help Us Make a Living? And in fact, uh, maybe you didn't have the time, but we touched very little uh, upon the practical uh, aspects for us. Uh, the, the people who come here to ISPA, who are probably sitting here, uh, represent a fraction, in fact, of all of the slides you presented because uh, we're not generally uh, fiction uh, authors. Uh, we're not even the majority of documentary productions, kind of National Geographic and all of that, which sells by the kilo. Uh, we are an infinite small portion of that graph that you represented. So my question was, um, how much all of what you presented to us is true for 
us as a constituency, is it true that VOD sales are booming for creative documentaries made by small producers? Uh, is it true that uh, we have the bargaining power that you're uh, saying? Uh, is it not true, for example, that for a documentary uh, that has almost zero chances of ending up uh, in the cinemas, very little chances of ending up on iTunes, uh, has very high author value, however, it makes actually much more sense for an author uh, to be paid by a lump sum rather than to be paid a percentage that will never come. Uh, so I have all of these very concrete questions. I was wondering if you could address maybe some of them. Well, I, I think uh, your category uh, is um, very well represented in the different collective management organizations that are part of the SA and, and the um, um, uh, Directors Guild or um, Screenwriters and Directors Association because uh, many, many authors are uh, working on very creative uh, projects and not uh, part of the big uh, uh, big uh, trends, I would say, big fiction uh, sectors. Um, so for me, it's really uh, the, the, the authors, you are the kind of authors we are working for uh, in our um, authors organization. Um, then I think uh, what we are trying to do is to um, ensure that your uh, words are represented in, 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 the, in the new media. And I think this is something not necessarily related to copyright, but for example, there is another legislation being discussed in, uh, uh, at European level, it's the Audiovisual Media Services Directive. And here there is a, a new proposal made by the Commission to ensure that um, video on demand platforms have a minimum uh, number of European works in, in their catalogs uh, to be shown, whatever the genre. Uh, but, uh, uh, so the Commission proposed a 20% uh, catalog quota uh, on any video on demand platforms, which would create some uh, um, uh, appeal uh, to any uh, European works. Um, um, and, and I think uh, documentaries have a, a big uh, uh, place uh, here. So it's difficult to make something very specific to um, specific genre in this context. So when we talk about audiovisual works, uh, we uh, could not make any difference uh, but, uh, in, in genre. We, what is of course sure is that we talk about we defend European audiovisual works, um, but it, then it can benefit everybody. And what we try to do in the Audiovisual Media Services Directive is to convince uh, VOD platforms that it's in their interest to propose something different than the uh, usual uh, train, what make a success in theaters and, and just duplicate uh, the success that already happened on other modes of exploitation. So, to, to gain trust in the value of, of the European works. When it comes to lump sum payment, um, yeah, this is the usual discussion. Well, um, get the money and run, because we don't know <laughs> what will happen next. Um, the thing is that if you get ongoing remuneration afterwards, it doesn't mean that you won't get your money uh, at the beginning, because uh, at least in theory, uh, the money you are getting is both for working and for the copyright. But uh, if you uh, uh, dissociate that, 
you are entitled to this money for working on the project. Uh, the producer needs your copyright to make uh, the finance, but it doesn't mean that uh, it, it will prevent you to um, get uh, money ongoing remuneration. So for example, when the online rights were introduced uh, 15 years ago, uh, it's, uh, um, yeah, usually it's in the 90s, um, European legislation created this making available rights, which didn't exist uh, in the past. Uh, did you see an increase in your uh, remuneration because this uh, additional right was created? No. Uh, so uh, the bundle of rights is always at the disadvantage of, of the author because um, it's, uh, uh, you, you can't negotiate additional remuneration. So what we are advocating is that because you will, it's not because you will be entitled to ongoing remuneration that you will, will lose your money, uh, your lump sum, I would say, um, at least the amount of money you will get uh, at the production stage. So the idea <coughs> is that there is no decrease in this because there was no increase when these online rights were added um, in, in the contract. Uh, so there should be no uh, decrease, but if there is a success, if the exploitation is uh, in different uh, media, you are entitled to be uh, part of it and to get something part of it. It might be not huge if you are not uh, uh <coughs> going uh, through many different platforms, but this is uh, the sense of uh, the, the, the spirit behind copyright is that as a filmmaker, you are entitled to be associated to the exploitation of your work. Well, 
re-enter in a bit in the complexity of the situation. But uh, uh, first, yes, you have uh, uh, to organize a collective management organization in your country. Then, uh, I think Serbia is uh, willing to enter the European Union, so uh, there are negotiations taking place with the European Union where Serbia will have to implement what we call the European acquis. It means all these legislation that are already in place uh, that will have to be um, adopted by Serbia so that uh, there is a, what we call a level playing field at, terms, at least in terms of legislative uh, framework. Um, and then so there is what is in the law, uh, so cable retransmission, um, private copying, if uh, Serbia organizes, uh, you, um, if you enter into these schemes, uh, in general in copyright, what we have is what we call national treatment. It means that you have to treat um, at national level uh, all authors equally, uh, whether they are national or foreign um, authors. So this is a very strong <coughs> principle uh, that you have uh, in, uh, in Europe at least, and but it's also in the Berne Convention, the International Treaty on Copyright. Um, then the problem is that everything that is not harmonized, uh, and there you have, uh, um, um, you can ask for reciprocity. Uh, so for example, um, if in Serbia you don't have um, broadcasting rights collectively managed, um, it's uh, a Serbian authors who uh, works his uh, broadcasting, for example, in, in, in France, I'm not sure if you are not registered in France with the collective management organization, I'm not sure you will get uh, some window. But as soon as you will have equivalent uh, protection or organization, then you can have more um, uh, reciprocity. And that's why we advocate for uh, online rights, a European system, so that you don't have all this discussion on a bilateral basis, which is uh, important, but it's a uh, lot of time and uh, money to uh, settle this uh, bilateral agreement. So if we have something at European level, it will be really uh, easier for um, everybody, authors, collective management organization, uh, to uh, even um, online distributors. Uh, I mean, uh, the idea in the end is that uh, Netflix, for example, will have uh, to negotiate with uh, one collective management organization mandated by the other one uh, to, uh, for the remuneration of, um, of the author. So maybe it's a dream, but uh, it's something that could be, uh, <laughs> uh, that could be organized. Uh, at least the, the legal framework can, can be organized. Um, and, and, that's, uh, and whether you are from Serbia or Netherlands, uh, you, you could get uh, your money. But it helps us authors, but it helps Netflix as well. It makes their life easier, right? Oh. <laughs> That's like a good argument. Uh, maybe uh, uh, to end off, do you have a final uh, thought you would share with us? Uh, what, what can we do? What, what, what can we bring with us uh, from today uh, to, uh, well, to make more money in the end? Well, I, I uh, would encourage each of you to uh, um, uh, be involved uh, in your uh, professional organization, um, guilds, association, collective management organization, to get more familiar with uh, your rights, 
um, how to uh, protect uh, your rights, how to uh, make money with your rights, because that's uh, something important. Um, and uh, um, we ensure that at European level, uh, we are working hard to get uh, to improve the situation. So uh, yeah, if you are, um, uh, if you think that's uh, that's a good idea, um, if you can, uh, yeah, uh, spread the video. If you go on SA website, I have a few uh, booklets here which present um, the facts and figures that we introduced at the beginning. And on our website, you can find the video, you can find the infographic, um, and all these um, arguments uh, to, uh, to spread the word and uh, to uh, push uh, at European level to get something interesting for authors. Because um, if we go to the uh, last slide, <coughs> uh, yeah, the, we, we didn't enter into the details on how to improve the current legislation. Um, next one, please. Uh, yeah, but this is what, in the end, we would like to uh, uh, introduce in addition to, to improve the, the existing provisions. So it will take time, it will be hard. We have to talk individually <coughs> to uh, every uh, politician, it's, uh, uh, but it's not something that can be done just by me and my team of uh, two people and a half. <laughs> uh, it's really uh, the whole authors community that has to be involved. All right, thank you very much. Thank you all for being here this